Um, but we are in our second week in our series, Pursue. Uh, last week, we talked about the, one of the first things that we are pursued by, and that was pursued by sin. The idea that before we know, Je before we know Jesus, and even after we know Jesus, sin in our lives is kind of almost a, I don't like, the word, you like to use the word companion, but it's always there. It is a constant roommate that we can't get rid of. Uh, sin is always there trying to work its, its uh, darkness in our lives and pull us from a place that, that we need to be down to a place that we don't need to be. And it is just that pursuit that we always have to war against for the rest of our lives. This week, we turn to the second pursuer. And the second pursuer actually pursues humanity before the first does. But I placed this second because not everyone will ever know of this pursuit. Because humanity is pursued by God. And there are lots of people in this world who will never come to the truth and the realization that God is pursuing them. They will never understand what that love is. They will never understand that relationship. And so, because of that, I put God second as our second pursuer because the truth is, everybody, whether they know God or not, understands that something is wrong. They understand sin on some level. They get that things happen bad. They get that they don't want to be places. But some people will never understand that God is pursuing them. You know, and in the beginning, God created everything perfect. Everything was great, and everything was a perfect relationship. And He was in perfect relationship with man, and man was in perfect relationship with Him. And that description you hear of the garden where, and God would walk with man in the cool of the day. Can you imagine that? Imagine what that was like. And there was this perfection. God has always wanted that relationship with man. God created man because he wanted to. He didn't need to. God is in perfect relationship within himself, within the Trinity. He didn't have a need for man, but he wanted to create man. He wanted that relationship. And so he's always been the, the pursuer. And then you have the fall. Then you have the forbidden fruit and the one bite that changes everything. I, I, I've often, I ponder that moment. I ponder what happened there and, and how that, that happened within them. Because it, it doesn't say that she bit and their eyes were, and her eyes were open. It says when they together had given him. Can you imagine him watching? It's a whole other sermon, but there was something wrong in that relationship when he let her bite into that fruit and just watched her. I'm just saying, husbands don't do that. Let's be honest. God said that would kill you, and he said, I'll watch her do it first. There's something wrong there. Um, but he, 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 he watched, and then he saw that it was okay, so when he knew, he bit. And then it says, in that moment, their eyes were open. You ever had one of those, one of those instances in your life where suddenly everything was different? Suddenly you realize something and suddenly they realize that they were apart from God. For the first time ever. 
they were appalled. I think back to Shiloh being born. And it was chaotic, to say the least. Two weeks, it takes a big servant. But he was a big old boy. He was almost six pounds. 32 weeks. They looked at him and said, there's no way he's only 32 weeks. Because his Apgar scores, if you know what that means, were 9 and 10. He was good. But he didn't have the surfactant that he needed in his lungs. It wasn't there yet. But they didn't listen to us. And so they cleaned him up, let Mama see him for one moment. And then rushed him off to get him cleaned up better. And the next thing we know, he's on a ventilator because they didn't listen. And they put it, they put him on the bed. And there was that separation. That, that separation for the first time, Shiloh was separated from Mama. And, and you could you could kind of tell. He was he's, he's stubborn sometimes. He was stubborn back then. He was on the vent for about three days. And one day, the doctor said he reached up and he went and pulled it out. And he breathed on his own. And she came in and she said, I went to put it back in and he kicked me in the head. So I decided that I put the vent back in. All of that began to calm down when Mama could finally make it over and that separation was no longer there. In that moment, Adam and Eve had been into the fruit. In that moment, suddenly they were separated from a presence they had always known. They were separated in such a way that they did not understand what was going on. And so then we see this entire book, this entire written revelation of God to of Himself to man. And this record of this pursuit that God does. He comes to and He calls out all the different people in Scripture. He calls out Abram. He calls out Moses. He calls out the judges and the prophets. And then you have the culmination of the revelation. You have Jesus who comes. But, as I, as I prayed over this and figured, how do we talk about God's pursuit of us? There is one place that describes God's pursuit of us better than any other. We've actually done a series in the book before. So, although it occurs before God's ultimate revelation of Jesus, this story found in the prophets over in the book of Hosea shows the rich love relationship that God has for us. Hosea, if you're looking for it, it's Patrick Daniel. Right before Joel, and we don't have just one text, we've got many texts this morning. We're going to go with actually three, not many, three, a few. We've got three texts we're going to go through this morning, just kind of quickly to look at what God does for us in His pursuit. And there we, the first one is there in Hosea chapter 1, starting in verse 2. And it says, When the Lord first, first spoke to Hosea, He said this to him, Go and marry a promiscuous wife, and have children of promiscuity. For the land is committing blatant acts of promiscuity by abandoning the Lord. So he went and married Gomer, daughter of Deblain, and she conceived and bore him a son. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings. Father, I ask you that you would take this time and use it for your glory. Father, use me as the vessel with the words that I speak for the Lord and yours alone. Father, we thank you, we praise you, we ask all these things in your son Jesus and for his son. And all God's people say. Amen. We read this, and I know it's, it's just a funny text, right? It's this idea of what he, he says to do. 
And, and, and the words here are a little different because, of course, the King James would say, go and marry a woman of harlotry. Uh, there, there's a different connotation, I think, within our minds when we hear the word harlot and when we hear the word promiscuous. The word harlot actually very much um, is more appropriate for this setting. It is, it is a woman who has chosen to sell herself. But as I read this text, and I read what this picture is supposed to be, you know, many times we wax eloquent. We say that there's this miracle that God loves us in spite of our sin. Well, that's true, and it's very exciting. It's only half the story. Because as we read here in Hosea, God loves us in spite of our sin, but He pursues us because of our sin. He, he pursues us because we're sinful. He didn't just stop and say, well, I'm done. He didn't say, huh, y'all bit the fruit. Y'all didn't listen. I'm done. I mean, how many of us as children have ever had that fear? You know, Mama told me I have to do it, and I did it anyway. He probably just going to tell me to get out. I'm done. That's not what happens, right? Not what happens with God either. God pursues us because of our sin. He pursues us because of the sinful nature. Man broke his relationship with God. Man falls, he fails, he misses the mark. And because of this brokenness, God pursues us. He pursues us in order to reestablish the relationship that he had in the beginning. Hosea's marriage was to be a picture of God's relationship with his people. A picture of how God reacted with Israel on a on a much uh, smaller scale, humanity on the larger scale. And God says, go marry a woman of harlotry. Hosea was called to the heart love. I mean, I, you have to admit that. God says, don't go marry the woman you love. Go marry a woman who is a prostitute. Go find you a prostitute and marry her. Go and make her your wife. It was a wife that he was to pick because of her sin. In the same way, God pursues humanity because of our sinfulness. In the gospel, Jesus spent his time with who? Sinners. He didn't spend his time with all the religious people. He spent his time with sinners. And they, every time the religious people would go, why is he doing that? Why is he spending his time with them? Doesn't he know who they are? He shouldn't be with them. They're going to make him unclean. And they're going to, they're, they're going to, they're going to muddy the message. But Jesus said he came in order to bring sinners to repentance. Jesus came to sinners. The chief priests, the Pharisees, religious leaders, they condemned him. They said no. So then Jesus tells this series of parables. First, first sermon I ever preached here were those parables about things that were lost. A sheep, a coin, and a son. Stories that, that tell us of the pursuit of God to, act, to explain why He was actively seeking out sinners. The well don't need a doctor. God pursues us because of sin. He pursues us because there is a problem that only He can take care of. He pursues us because that's what needs to happen. I love those parables. 
A man lost one sheep. He left the 99 box left to go and find that one sheep. Took off after him. And he threw it up on his shoulders and he came back and he had a party. Why? Because the one sheep was sad. He pursued the sheep. A woman loses a coin, and presumably this is her dowry, this is the money that was given that, that she could have. So if her family was ever in trouble, that she could take care of things. And she's lost a coin, and it says what? She called all of her friends together, and they searched the house high and low. Searched them. We have one key to our van. One key. And you know, we can get some work on it, and made it better. Three days later, the key was nowhere to be found. Nowhere to be found. We searched time. We searched look. We started digging through toy boxes. We started digging through closets. I opened up a locked secretary desk to look and see if it was in the locked desk that we hadn't opened in four months. We searched everywhere for those keys. We found them behind the sewing machine where people had already looked. But we found them. We tore that house apart. We had to spend a week cleaning it back up. That's the story here about the one of the coin. She tore the house apart looking for one coin. The pursuit, because that one is important, and God pursues us because of that. God pursues us because of our sin. And He told, he told Hosea, go and marry, go and marry this woman. Go and marry this prostitute. Make her your wife. And he does. And she gives him a son. If you were to read the, the entire first three chapters, we'd see that, that Gomer has three children. There's Jezreel, Lo-Ruhamah, and Lo-Amin. If you know anything about Jezreel, the valley of Jezreel was a very bloody valley. So there was this part of the prophecy there. Lo-Ruhama means no compassion. I have no compassion on my people. And then uh, Lo-Amin is probably the saddest one because he named that child not my people. Look at who his wife is. That's not mine. All the names have meaning. And as you begin chapter 2, the story is judgment on the unfaithful wife. The story is Israel's adultery is rebuked all the way through the first uh, 13 verses. But then suddenly in verse 14, there is a dramatic shift that shows the pursuit of God. And there in verse 14 it says, Therefore I am going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Accor into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the days she came out of the land of Egypt. In that day, this is the Lord's declaration, you will call me my husband and no longer call me my, my Baal. For I will remove the name of the Baals from her mouth. They will no longer be remembered by their names. On that day I will make a covenant for them with the wild animals, the birds of the sky, and the creatures that crawl on the ground. I will shatter the bow, sword, and the weapons of war in the land, and will enable the people to rest securely. I will take you to be my wife forever. I will take you to be my wife in righteousness, justice, love, and compassion. I will take you to be my wife in faithfulness, and you will know Yahweh. On that day, I will respond. This is the Lord's declaration. I will respond to the sky, and it will respond to the earth. 
The earth will respond to the grain, the new wine, and the oil, and they will respond to Jezreel. And I will sow her in the land for myself, and I will have compassion on no compassion. And I will say to not my people, you are my people. And he will say, you are my God. God redeems our failures by his pursuit. God redeems our failures by his pursuit. Because he pursues us, he redeems us. He takes the unfaithfulness that we offer and he replaces it with his faithfulness. He takes all the brokenness that we have and he makes it whole. Even that which was conceived in sin can be made perfect by him because he says, I'm going to make not my people to be my people. God redeems our failures by his undying devotion. You would think, what a beautiful story. What a beautiful description. But that's not the end of the story. I would, it would be nice if the story stopped right that God redeems. God redeems our failures by his pursuit. That no matter what I've done, no matter how many times I've fallen, that God redeems that. And even that which was conceived outside of him, he can take and he can bless and he can put within him. That's just an amazing story. You would want to stop there. This is where you want to stop and go, yes, this is what God does. He takes everything. He makes it right again. He's good. But the problem is, remember last week when we had that sin that continues to crouch, that continues to pursue, that sin that we keep struggling against? In the book of Hosea, Gomer goes back to her old ways. And she finds herself sold into bondage. God says, I'm going to redeem this. I'm going to redeem everything. I'm going to make this be exactly what it needs to be. But Gomer, she doesn't know how. Right? Here's my Here's my point you can write down this on your sheet. It's unfair of us as believers to treat new believers like they should know how. Because sometimes you don't. Sometimes, no matter how much you love Jesus, sin still calls. And I don't know how to overcome it. And I don't know how to how to make the thing. And here's do the do the young Christians in your life know that it's okay to call you in the middle of the night to say they're struggling? Sin sin tries to get a hold, not in the daylight. When things are bright, sin can't hide. But in the middle of the night, that's when sin starts the siren song. Do the young believers in your life know that they can pick up the phone and call and say, I just need you to talk me through this because I really want to take a drink tonight and I know that I shouldn't. Do they know that they can call you and say that to you and you not judge them for it? 
took it. He paid the price. He gets me off the auction block. And what does he say to me? He says, you have to live with me and be faithful. God pays the price for our transgressions. And no matter how many times or what depths we fall to, God pursues us there. He goes after it. There's a new song that I have been listening to over and over again. Maria probably heard it. It's called, He's in the Room. He's in the Room. Man. And you get to the bridge, and the bridge goes back to the Psalms. If I go to the highest heights, He's there. If I go to the lowest depths, He's there. God is always there. He pursues me no matter where I go. No matter how far I've fallen, no matter how many times I've failed, He pursues me there. And He brings me back and He sets me back up where He wants me to be. He doesn't leave me. He doesn't say, you made the mess, get out of it. Sometimes, sometimes we act that way towards people. But that's not how God acts. I know, I sound pretty liberal today, don't I? That's how, not how God acts. God doesn't say, you made this mess, get yourself out of it. He says, let me paint you out of this. Let me pull you out of this. Let me help you out of the spot that you found yourself in. Because He doesn't want to leave us there. He wants us. I have good news this morning. It doesn't matter where you are in your walk with God. He's pursuing you this very instant. It doesn't matter if you're ultra close or if you're really far away. God is pursuing you. He is running after you. He is trying to bring you back to where He wants you to be. God never stops pursuing you. And He's never going to stop pursuing you. My question this morning for you is what is your reaction to the pursuit? We can run away, we can run toward, or we can stay at His side. What's your reaction to God's pursuit this morning? Because here's the deal. When you get close to God, things get uncomfortable. They get uncomfortable. Because God asks you to do things that are just wild sometimes. If you don't believe me, read the book of Ezekiel. <coughs> lay, on, lay on your right side for a year, Ezekiel. Lay there for a while. Oh! I want you to cook all of your fire, I'll bake a fire out of human waste and cook all your food on it. Ezekiel said, please, no, God. He said, okay, you can use cow blood. It gets uncomfortable. God calls us to be uncomfortable, but He's pursuing us because He wants to, to bring us back and He wants to put us where He wants us to be. God's always pursuing us. He pursues us because of our sin. He redeems the things that we've done in our sin. And He continues to pursue us to bring us back to where He wants us to be. That's the news. That's the, that's the Bible. That's the message of this entire book. Is that God never stops pursuing you. And He's willing to pay the price for your transgressions. He's willing to pay the price and even when you thumb your nose at what he's done, <coughs> he still loves you. 
Maybe this morning. Maybe God's been pursuing you in a way that you feel tangible. And you've just been saying, God, I'm just not ready for that. Now's the time to let it go and say, God, I'm ready. I'm ready for whatever you have for me. Maybe this morning, this is the first time that you've thought about God pursuing you and you're going, oh, that's what that is. Now's the time to, to let him have control. Maybe this morning you want to pray. The altar is open. I'll pray with you. Maybe you want to serve in missions or ministry. Maybe you want to join this church in membership. Maybe this morning you have some other needs that I haven't mentioned. But maybe this morning you've never known Jesus. Maybe Jesus has been knocking on the door of your heart. Maybe He's been calling out to you because He's been pursuing you your entire life. And you're finally ready to say, okay, Lord, I give up. You caught me. Take my life. Make me yours. If you want to know Jesus this morning, just walk down and say, Brother Trey, I want to know Jesus, so we'll go from there. But wherever you're at, whatever you need, give it to Him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you right now and we thank you and we praise you for your blessings.